item. We all good? Okay. Good morning, happy Sabbath, everyone. Good morning, happy Sabbath. Good to see you. Something went wrong with the iPad. That's all right. I might be able to. Thank you. I might be able to. <laughs> thank you. Okay, I can should be able to see up there. That's all right. Move this iPad out of the way then. Unless you want to. Not a huge issue. All right. We'll get started. I am I am weary of time. I've been told I, I tend to speak fast, um, and if I do, I apologise. Go on YouTube and play it at half speed if you've missed something. Um, before we begin, I'll ask you to just bow your heads. We'll have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are yours and yours only, Lord, and I pray that the Holy Spirit be sent down so that what needs to be heard is heard and what doesn't need to be heard is blocked out, Lord. I pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So the title of the sermon is Missing the Point. So, I tend to start each um, message with a little story to set the mood. And this story is, um, it's kind of fitting that Jennifer brought up, that's all right, I'll move that away, brought up my brought up my water bottle um, because in October, it was our one-year anniversary when we got married, and we went back to the place where we went for our honeymoon, which was Port Douglas and Cairns. Yeah. So it is a very beautiful place. Um, click is not responding. All good, thanks. Okay, so one of the places... Oh, I think the slides are a bit... Oh, no, that's fine. Don't worry. Sorry. So we're just talking about missing the point again, a bit of a funny slide for you guys, and missing the point, what, it, what other words it can mean. But anyway, let's get back to the story. We went to, one of the places we visited was Fitzroy Island, which is just off the coast of um, Cairns. You go to Cairns from, we drove from Port Calgus to Cairns for the day, and then from Cairns to catch a ferry about 40 minutes to this place, Fitzroy Island. Now, Fitzroy Island is a very beautiful place. There's a, a few things to do there. You can snorkel, um, you can hike, you can relax, there's a resort there. But one of the really special places about Fitzroy, or things about Fitzroy Island is the fact that there is sand, but on the shore, most of the sand is actually coral, dead coral. Now, it doesn't hurt you or anything, and it is a beautiful thing to look at, but um, that's, what, that's what makes this place so special. So one of the main, we only went for the half day, by the way, which is an important thing for you to remember. You can do a full day, but we felt like the full day would be quite um, tiring by the end of it. This was towards the end of our trip, so we were already tired. Um, so we went there for the half day. One of the activities we could do is uh, snorkel. Now, we went snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef previously, but we went want to go snorkeling at Fitzroy Island as well because it has one of the most abundant uh, wildlife and turtles are quite common. So we put on our... Flippers, mask, and stinger suit because stinger season was just coming in and they recommended it. Might have been a money grab, but whatever. I just better be safe than sorry. Last thing I want to do is cry in agony from a jellyfish bite. Um, so, what, towards the end of our... Um, this isn't my photo, by the way. But towards the end of our snorkeling expedition, um, towards the end of when we had to go back, 
I was looking for a turtle the whole time. Jennifer and I sort of separated to look for a turtle to see if we can find a turtle. And on the way back, when we gave up finding a turtle, is the time that we found the turtle. We found a turtle. So there was a turtle swimming around the coral. Um, me being me, wanted to go as close as possible to the turtle, and I did get as close as possible. I could literally smell what he was eating. Um, I, I was hesitant to touch it because I'm not sure if you're allowed to or not, but I sort of reached out and couldn't quite get it. But it was right there, wasn't scared, it was really nice. The thing about Fitzroy Island is there's constantly yachts coming in um, and ferries, which means it's a bit choppy and a bit wavy. It's not as um, calm as if you go to the low isles or normal Great, Great Barrier Reef. Um, so I was sort of fighting the waves a little bit, diving in, trying to touch this turtle, trying to get the water out of my snorkel. At the end of it all, when we got out of the, um, out of the water, uh, we're taking off the stinger suit and I'm packing it all up to be put away and I realized that my wedding ring is missing. Yeah, I know. Hindsight, stupid. I usually take it off, but it hadn't moved around in my hand in a while, so I thought, you know what, it'll be fine. And the stinger suit has a glove. Um, so I thought, look, worst case, we'll fall into the stinger suit, it'll be fine. But I took off the glove to try and touch the turtle. So, <laughs> um, which I didn't end up doing anyway. But so the point of the story was it sort of put a downer on our, on our day. On our, luckily, it was a half trip, so I didn't have to dwell on it the whole time. Um, but, but, sorry, the main point of why I wanted to bring that up was I got upset, Jennifer got upset, but for two very different reasons. So I got upset because this ring had a monetary value, right? It was, a, it was not trying to boast, but it was, a, it was not a cheap ring, right? So I got upset that I lost a monetary thing because to me, a wedding ring is just a symbol. I was happy to buy a silicon one, put it on. It was just a symbol of my marriage and my commitment to Jennifer, right? But to Jennifer, she was upset. She couldn't care less about the monetary value. She was upset because this wedding ring was one that we designed and picked and got made together. And it was, it was a sentimental thing for her. So for me to go out and buy a silicon ring, which was fine, but to be the only wedding ring meant something more to her than it did to me. So we then, the same story, the same outcome, up, both upset, but for two very different reasons. And, I'm, and then we got into a bit of a disagreement because, hey, difference of opinions. We, witnessed, we both witnessed the same thing, but we're both upset for two very different reasons. And I missed the point entirely of what this meant for her. Anyway, we did what any good couple should do, and we compromised, and um, we're getting, we're getting, oh, it's on the way, it's on the way, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, I won't bore you with the details. <laughs> okay, so let's get, into, let's get into our Bible text of the day, and it comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. Oh, I should have got rid of those dot points, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43 will be our story for the day. So, it says, as, Jeric uh, sorry, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. 
Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately his sight, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So here we have a story. But there are multiple lessons we can pull out of it. And the one that you pull out, the one that resonates with you, will be the one that impacts you the most. If I ask 20 of you what the point of this story was, I guarantee I could get at least 15 or more different answers. Here's the catch. All are equally as valid and all equally have the same impact. Let's explore a few. So we're going to look at this story from an ethical point of view, a devotional point of view, and a theological point of view. So from an ethical point of view, there are a number of lessons we can pull out. One is we should be asking Jesus to supply our needs, just as the blind man did. We should have mercy on people in need, as Jesus had mercy on the blind man. Now, having mercy does not mean you think yourself as better, because Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. We should never turn people away or discourage them from coming to Jesus, even if they are being a nuisance. We saw this in the story of the children as well, crying, whatever they were, jumping all around, and he said, no, let them come. We should have faith in Jesus that he can do anything, such as cure blindness, that nothing else other than divine intervention can heal. There are certain blindness, and I don't know what, technically this man was blind from but there are certain things where you have to believe that there's nothing that human science or understanding or medicine can do um, other than divine intervention even we have to believe that he can even if it may not be his will Paul prayed three times for the thorn to be removed from his side which is probably a lot less than what we sometimes pray for in life when things are when we want things to be sorted or removed or whatever it is. Paul, after the third time, accepted it. So he understood it was his will. He knew Jesus could, uh, sorry, God could remove it, but there was a reason, we understand that, it may not be his will, and we have to accept that, but we have to still have the faith that he can. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? If you, let me, I'll read it, but in Daniel 3, 16 to 18, it said, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Finally, the final ethical lesson is we should praise God for whatever he does, just as the blind man did. Now, that could be the end of it, right? That's the ethical, practical lesson. That could be the end to move on, and that probably is the one that resonates with us the most. But let's look at it from a devotional point of view. This Man was blind physically, however, the healing is symbolic of healing of spiritual blindness. In John 9, 39-41, it says, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. We can spend a whole sermon on the implications of this passage in particular, but that's for another time. Finally, let's look at this from a doctrine or a theological point of view. Theologically, the fact that Jesus was performing miracles testifies to the fact that he is the divine Messiah. There are plenty of people in that time and even today that come to know the truth because of miracles. It is no less of a valid understanding of the story. 
So there are, a multitude, there are multitudes of stories that we can do this within the Bible. The workers in the vineyard is one example. Um, the ones who worked the whole day got the same pay as the ones who worked just for the hour, whatever it was. And this, this was a real-life situation at the time. Men would come to the, to the markets and be looking for work to just feed their family. And ethically or morally, the workers would... Um, the landlords would pay them the same because the fact that they didn't bring them in meant that there was no work. Now there is work. They should still get paid for standing in the market the whole day looking for work. So Jesus put another spin on that and he compared it to the kingdom of God, right? But there's also a moral story you can pull out of that if you are a business owner or a um, landowner of some sort, right? So you're probably thinking, that's great, Daniel. There are multiple lessons to be pulled out of every story in the Bible. We all know that. What's the practical application well, what I want to focus on today is how we can witness to those around us and not let our tunnel vision and overarching prejudices and biases close the door that the Holy Spirit is trying so hard to keep open. Not just necessarily to unbelievers, but people within our church as well. I had an experience last week. I was in a meeting that was catered, and the organizer came to me and said, look, I'm getting sandwiches. What are, you, what are your dietary requirements? And I said, look, I just don't eat pork or ham. Because, I mean, they weren't going to put prawns in my sandwich. but um, And that was it. So when the, when the meeting came, I got my separate sandwich. Everyone else had ham. I got my separate sandwiches. Um, and then one of, the, one of the people that I work with turned around and said, oh, is that, is that a dietary like, issue? Or is that a, and I said, no, religious, religious issue. Um, not issue, sorry, but religious belief, should I say. And they, they said to me, oh, What's, um, what's different about, oh, they are, sorry, what religion? I said Seventh-day Adventist. What's different about the Seventh-day Adventist? And I said, well, let me tell you, we believe the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, uh, the Saturday is the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and yada, 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 right? And then I got to thinking, hold on, I've completely missed the point. I've gone to the differences of the Sabbath, the seventh day, we believe in, we have different beliefs on what happens to you after you die, sanctuary, yada, yada, yada. But the point of the story is I was listing all these differences. Let's go back to the roots what do we believe? Well, we believe that Jesus died for our sins and he's going to save us if we believe in him. And he said to me, he's, look, I've been exploring and I'm looking at the Salvation Army and my lights sort of turned on because Jennifer used to be a Salvation Army and unfortunately the meeting started, but I was upset with myself for focusing on the differences and building these, burning down these bridges that I could have been, look, let's list all the things that we do actually believe together. So when we are witnessing to someone, many of us will have our mind default to the differences. Well, Sabbath is the seventh day. When you die, you don't go straight to heaven. Pork is bad for you. Fruits haven't magically changed in the past 6,000 years. If it was unclean then, it's unclean now. That verse in Mark where it says, Jesus declared all foods clean, isn't talking about clean and unclean foods. Let me give you a Bible study. When you understand, I'll baptize you and you can join the Seventh-day Adventist church, right? And I can get brownie points. I can move on to someone else. The witnessing is over before we can even begin. Ellen White talks about this. In evangelism, she says, in regard to making known our faith, no decided effort should be made to conceal it, point one, but no unwise efforts put forth to make it prominent. Persons will come to the sanitarium who are in favorable condition to be impressed by the truth. If they ask questions, if they ask questions in regard to our faith, it would be proper to state what we believe in a clear, simple manner. 
Indwelling godliness imparts a power to the conduct of the true believer that gives him an influence to the right. My dad taught me a story, I'm not going to get into it, about one of the blessings and one of the things that came across him when he was trying to um, immigrate into Australia at the time about only answering what is being asked, right? Because as soon as we start putting our opinions and prejudices and biases into it, it completely can twist the story and end very badly for us and for them. She goes on to say, but in this matter, we should act with discretion. There are conscientious persons who think it is their duty to talk freely upon points of faith in which there is a difference of opinion in a manner which arouses the combativeness of those with whom they converse. One such premature, injudicious effort may close the ears of one who would otherwise have heard patiently, but who will now influence others unfavorably. Thus spring up the roots of bitterness, whereby many are defiled. Through the indiscretion of one, the ears and hearts of many may be closed to the truth. It's an alarming thing. And unfortunately, SDAs may have a bad rap when it comes to a lot of these um, a lot of these topics. One conversation with one person has led them to, well, I don't want to I don't want to know what you what you guys believe because the one person I talked to once really put me in a bad mood or whatever it is. When you are witnessing to someone, you are the one who has an agenda, for lack of a better phrase. You're the sales representative. They've gone through life without Jesus for 20 to 30 to 40 years and have been just fine. It is up to you to accommodate them and to speak to them in a way that will actually resonate with them. In psychology, this is... I've forgotten the term now. But basically, what they're saying is you want to speak to a child or a young person at a level that they will understand but throw in the occasional complicated thought or word to arouse cognitive development. And by challenging, they, challenging them constantly, they develop. So you're speaking to them on a level that they will understand, but you, you slightly, a slightly level above. Not too much, a slight level above, so they can, okay, I've moved up, I've moved up, I've moved up, and that way you can develop them constantly into um, better understanding and, and cognitive development. A lot of the time when we witness, we can behave in a way as to expect them to comprehend what we are talking about. No, it's up to us to find a way to communicate effectively to a person with a different mindset, culture, and upbringing. Why this is so important is because of the fight-or-flight response. Once the fight-or-flight response, which if you don't know what it is, it's when you get stressed out, something happens, a danger or an argument, you, you one or two options. You either fight or you get up and run. There is, you can freeze, that's another option, like deer in the headlights, but usually it's called the fight or, fight or flight response. But once the fight or flight response kicks in, there is literally no point in continuing the conversation. Now you're just wasting time in trying to vent. So I'm sure, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not perfect. No one here is, but I'm sure it's happened to me, and if it's happened to you, where you get into an argument with someone, about something, and it leads to an argument, and you realize that, okay, hold on, I'm actually wrong, right? You're not going to stand, I mean, maybe you will, maybe you're a better man than me, but you're not going to necessarily stand down and go, you know what, after, they've just spent, after you've just been fighting with them, you're not going to go, you know what, you're right. I mean, you can, but that'd be facetious in a way that if you actually believe it or not. But if you genuinely believe you're wrong now, most of the time you're not going to be like, you know what, you're right. Yep. 
Maybe you will. But generally what happens is you try and backpedal a little bit and try and twist your story. And, oh, I didn't actually mean it that way. What I actually meant was, and then you try and twist the story a little bit so you don't embarrass yourself, right? I mean, I've done that. I'm sure some of you have as well. But the point of the story is you're not going to absorb anything and the other person is not going to come out of the conversation with a better understanding, in this case, of God's love and sacrifice. You could be missing the point entirely. The Pharisees missed the point of the Sabbath. The commandment says do not work. They saw Jesus healing, right? And then Jesus said to them, what did he say? How, how many of you, if you saw your animals in danger, whatever it was, would not lead them to, would not help them, would not lead them to water, right? The definition of work, I mean, without getting into the Hebrew or the, or the Greek or whatever, that it says definition of work is to exert a force to get something done, right? If I'm leading my animal to water or helping them, I'm exerting a force to get something done. You could argue it's not for money, it's not for this, it's not for that. But the point of the matter is, if your understanding of the Pharisees is, well, work's definition, do not work, work's definition is this, Jesus was working, but Jesus was without sin, right? So they've missed the point of what the commandment actually was trying to say. And there are people who spent hours unpacking the Old Testament who taught it to their children, and it was in their common way of thinking about life. they would studied the Messiah who would come, yet when he came, they didn't recognize him. Just think about that. They missed the entire point of the word of God. Everything they studied was about Jesus. Everything they studied was to prepare them for the coming of this one that they had longed for. This was the fulfillment of all that they were taught. This was the fulfillment of all the sacrifices that were made. He was the fulfillment of the law that they prided themselves in knowing and understanding. And they did not even recognize him. I remember when I came to the realization that not everyone wants the same thing out of life or sees life in the same way. It was embarrassingly quite later in life than it should have been, around early teens, actually. See, one of the very other important lessons that Dad taught me was to always be a man of your word. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. That's why you be so careful with the words that you do say and the promises you make. And there's that saying, never make promises when you're happy. If you say you're going to do something, if you're going to pick up a friend from an airport or whatever it is, and you said it when you're happy, yeah, man, I can pick you up. You wake up and you're feeling terrible and you're whatever it is, unless you're actually really sick, but you just don't want to do it or for whatever reason, you, you are bound by what you've said. And that's, the, that's what dad tried to instill in me. So I, I try to be very careful with my words. But I remember a kid in high school once asked me for $2 for an ice cream and he he was on my cricket team, and we were good friends. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, I can give you $2. He's like, I'll pay you back. Oh, sweet, no worries. Yeah, here's $2. He got his ice cream. He ate it. We were all friends. The next day, I was like, hey, um, <laughs> hey, can I, can, I, can I grab that two bucks back? I mean, no rush or anything, but we, like, um, just so I know, so I can sort of get my change from my lunch. And he said, I'm not giving you two bucks. Ha! <laughs> but he must have, look, I'm not here to pass judgment on him, but he, people are brought up in different ways. It's, it's a shark or be sharked world. Like it's um, for some people, you're either you're either the one, you're either the shark, or you're going to get eaten. Um, and unfortunately, that's like I can't hold him to any standard because he's, he he wasn't a Christian that I know of anyway. So I can't expect him to to behave in a way that that potentially I would expect others to behave. And I, like even. Yeah, the point of the story wasn't to pass judgment. It's just saying that people have different 
completely different um, perspectives. And Some people want white picket fences, a dog, three children and a house with a lot of land. Others want an apartment in the city overlooking skyscrapers and rivers. Now, prophecy and prejudices aside, it may come as a genuine shock that people genuinely want different things. For ages, I thought, surely we all want the same thing. People are just trying to justify certain life situations. You may look at someone and go, I could never live in the city. I could never live on a skyscraper. I could never do this. And then I spoke to someone at work, and she's like, yeah, I could never not live in the city. Like, everything is here. Everything is so close and accessible and work is like two minutes away and this is that and I, I just love the city life and yeah okay she goes clubbing and she does this and that but like genuinely different opinions someone supports the views of one political party because it more closely aligns with that with what they perceive everyone's life should be like and another person may have experiences that completely turn them sour to some policies in fact to say that everyone needs to think the same way is dangerous because at least from a political point of view, and it's not a political sermon, I'm not going to get into it, we need the left and the right to keep each other in check and to pull each other back from the brink of extreme left and extreme right. They have to, without the good, you can't have the bad. Without the left, you can't have the right. They need to keep each other in check. And this is constantly throughout history. You can't just have everyone one-sided. It ends badly. So one of the main reasons we come to church, or one of the main reasons I come to church, is to receive each other's perspective. We spend time in the Word, in a Sabbath school lesson, in a sermon, listening to certain perspectives or explanations, and then ideally other people offer their perspective and we get a better full picture. Just to be clear, I'm not talking about issues where there is no perspective to be had. When it says do not kill, it means do not kill. There is no perspective. But even so... Adultery, do not commit adultery. There was a different perspective to be had. Jesus had another perspective. He said, even if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. That wasn't, that didn't even register with the people when they first read the commandments or, or, or until Jesus said, said that and it just like shook them to a different degree. They did not even consider that. Different perspective. And it, I remember sitting in one of the Christian studies and I was in um, primary school and I said, yeah, do not kill is... is Black and white. And they said, yeah, but what if you hurt someone's feelings? What if you, what if you kill them in a mental or spiritual sense? There are, there, are, there are always certain things they haven't even considered. Don't fall into the trap of having all the right answers to everyone and knowing the laws and the right things to say, but having no idea who the Messiah actually is. And I'm, I'm relating this back to those who studied the Old Testament so intently and just missed the point completely. And I want to wrap this up. So I want to pull two practical lessons out of what I spoke about today and two things that we can maybe take away from this. Is that the end of the slides, is it? Okay. When it comes to witnessing and making disciples, as is our charge given by Jesus, success can be minor. You don't have to take someone, I mean, it's good if you take someone from non-believing to being baptized, but you don't, you don't have to measure success in, in, in how many baptisms you've gotten. Success can be so minor, and unfortunately that can hold a lot of people back because they might not even start a conversation because there's no point. You're not going to take them from point A to point B. 
You get into an Uber ride, you get into a bus ride, you get into a, on a plane. Why would you talk to someone about Jesus? I mean, you can, but the, a lot of people might not because you're not going to baptize them on that train ride. You're not going to baptize them in the five minutes. You're going to get out of the bus ride and go, let's go to this body of water and baptize them. But all of a sudden, your conversation with them has changed from, I've never thought about God, to actually, that's interesting. Thank you for that. And now you've planted a seed, right? And that, that is gospelly witnessing. Don't hold yourself back in thinking, well, I can't take a person from point A to point B. Your job could be to take that person from point zero to dial one of a hundred on the, on, the, um, on the scale. And then everyone else along the way takes them two to three, three to four, four to five. Don't diminish a role in what you can do because you can't take them from point A to point B. Amen. And the practical lesson number two is that don't argue. Once fight or flight kicks in, the conversation ends there. You, there is literally no point. Reconsider your approach, pray, but more importantly, don't let your own demeanor turn to a point where you can't even be an effective witness. This isn't just applicable to witnessing to non-Christians or, or non-Seventh-day Adventists, but even within the church. This may come as a shock to you, but even within our own walls, there are people who think differently to you on certain topics. And you might 100% believe it's a salvation, I hate using the term salvational issue, but you might believe it's a huge issue that there is no wiggle room on, but you haven't even talked spoke to someone else about a different perspective or a different approach to it, which you need because you can't make a decision unless you've considered all the approaches. There's this show I'm watching where, where, where the mother tries to get her kids into, uh, into reading the Bible and, and, and into the Baptist faith. And then the kid goes, he loves science and he loves research, and he goes, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, I don't believe in God, but if I'm going to do that, I have to consider all the religions. She's like, no, 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 you can't do that. And he's like, well, why not? That's what, that's what researching is. You can't make an informed decision until you've understood everyone's perspective and everyone's idea. So, to wrap that up nicely in a bow, let us pray that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and guidance and patience to be effective witnesses for his kingdom and to have love for our fellow brothers and sisters. Amen.